For the month of June, Emily and I have decided to donate 100% of the profits that we make from our discount code CANDY at adamandeve.com to the Black Sex Worker Collective. If you guys want to donate directly to the Black Sex Worker Collective, we have links to their website in our bios on Twitter at CandyGirlPod and on Instagram at CandyGirlPodcast. So if you go over to adamandeve.com and you use discount code CANDY, C-A-N-D-Y, at checkout, you'll get 50% off an item, plus 10 free gifts, free shipping, and you'll be helping out black sex workers. Again, that's discount code CANDY, C-A-N-D-Y. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm your co-host, Emily. And today we are interviewing Tasha Black. She is a dominatrix in the LA area, and she's going to be telling us a little bit about who she is and what she does. So do you want to introduce yourself? Of course. Hi, it's so great to talk to all of you. Um, So as our wonderful host announced me, um, my name is Tasha. I'm a dominatrix and luxury fetish model from originally from Brooklyn, um, currently based in LA. Uh, I'm pretty popular for pegging, strap-on, and anal play, which is a crazy kind of claim to fame, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've been in the industry for about four years now. I absolutely love what I do and I can't wait to talk to you guys today. Yeah. We're really excited to have you. Um, I know Emily's going to have some questions about pegging cause she always does. So <laughs> I, I have a lot of questions about pegging. So I just texted one of my friends, like, y'all got any questions about pegging you want me to have? I have an expert on the line, like. There you go, Emily. This is your time. I texted him. We'll bring it up later. <laughs> Preferred lubricants, positions, um, layer levels of entry. I don't know. I just made that up, but it's not it. <laughs> All of it. I need. I need the physics. <laughs> what force is it going to be inserted? What speed? <laughs> yeah. Wait. Wait. One thing. One thing that like stood out to me when you were introducing yourself that I didn't know about is what are luxury fetishes. Oh my gosh. So um, I do a lot of like FinDom. I think that people are really familiar with financial domination. I am a big fan of um, luxury lingerie. That's kind of my big thing. So I frequently spent rent checks on panties (laughs) and shoes. Um, Yes. There you go. Yes. Um, So uh, it's mostly that, but in terms of fetish wise, in terms of like the mechanics of what I do, um, it's mostly like tease and denial, chastity, um, a lot of cock and ball torture, um, anal play, obviously, um, public humiliation. I've done a few public humiliation shoots. And I don't know anything else that somebody will let me do to them. I'm a pretty big sadist, so <laughs> don't let my sweet exterior fool you. <laughs> Yeah, so to get right into it, how did you become a dominatrix? Like, what got you interested? Oh, my gosh. So, um, I so, okay, I grew up in New York, right? And I, when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend. 
I was in a poly relationship and I had a girlfriend that her boyfriend was a dom. And so he would like take us to like play parties and stuff. This is when I was like 15, 16. Obviously not appropriate or legal, but um, again, we're talking about New York here. So <laughs> at the time, it was just like a kind of an intro to the culture and to the scene as a whole. Um, I would play a little bit as a sub, but I didn't really like it. I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, but I still stayed super interested in kink and super interested in BDSM. And so um, in college and undergrad I had my first submissive boyfriend and it's the sex was just amazing and it um really kind of changed my my whole life and my whole perspective on love and sex and relationships um so we would do a lot of the same things that I do to this day like face sitting cbt pegging that's where it all started <laughs> yeah I so I guess it's been maybe like a number of years a journey but that's what gave me the introduction and then around 2016 is when I actually um, became a professional take notes Emily pegging is what got her started I'm observing be very careful it's a slippery slope okay (laughs) I thought the problem was sometimes it's not slippery enough You sound very experienced, like really kind of familiar. So basically, I have this friend who may or may not be gay, bi, straight, who knows? <laughs> he doesn't know. I sure as hell don't know. May or may not be any of the above options. Like what sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we're both like, we're afraid of sex. Like, do we even want, like, ace, like mm-hmm. who knows? But he's mm-hmm. always had this mm-hmm. fascination with pegging. So I remember one time we were just hanging out and I like, I have all these butt plugs that like I've never used. They're just kind of there just in case someone lets me peg them. Um, (laughs) Wish my boyfriend (laughs) would let me peg him already, but he never brings it up and I don't want to bring it up. (laughs) So I just say it indirectly to him on my podcast. So... um, in the event that a man that I am with would like to get fucked in the ass, here are my phone number and contact details. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I, he just, I don't know. He's always like, what stuff should I put up my butt? And we're always like joking about it. But then one time, like, I remember I was outside of the bathroom and he was like, I think I'm going to peg myself. And I was like, so am I supposed to just stand out here for moral support? Like, what do I do? And he was like, Emily, I got the whole thing in. And I was like, that thing is huge how (laughs) bleep out his name in the recording (laughs) and ever since then my friends and I it's just I I don't know I have this really weird almost childlike fascinating you know how like when eight-year-olds are obsessed with spelling boobs on a calculator yes yeah that's like me with pegging where I was like ooh, pegging It's amazing to me that it's such an interest for so many people. Like I, I mean, I I knew when my when my ex introduced it to me that this was like an immediate like oh my god I love this, um, but I never thought that like there was such a I guess big community of men um, of like femme identified people of a, a ton of different people that absolutely love. Um, strap on porn. I mean, the the variety of followers that I've had has really like surprised me and 
been something that I found really beautiful, actually. Um, yeah, one of my one of my gay best friends is always like, just wait until Zach lets you peg him because his prostate is going to go crazy. And that that's honestly what I'm like in it for. I just want to like. <laughs> like a geyser. Is that, is that like the. Fourth of July. Oh, fireworks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's something I've definitely seen more in the mainstream now is is um, people taking an interest in pegging. Which, like, honestly, like, even a year ago, I feel like wasn't something I saw very often. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, I mean, I think that we're coming upon a really beautiful time just in terms of um, identity, gender expression, sexual expression, um, where I feel like people are really transcending and moving through their bodies in a totally different way, um, really fascinating way, such that. I think that um, people of all genders are experiencing pleasure in like these really interesting, unusual, just like totally reimagined terms. Um, and I think that pegging falls into that. Uh, obviously, for like male body people, I think that pen- I don't want to say penetrative sex, but you know what I mean? Like in that direction (laughs) is kind of unusual and can be a really taboo concept, but it's also something that I know a lot of, a lot of straight cis men get a lot of pleasure from, um, but they just don't admit it. Yeah. That, that's what I'm like. So frustrated. I'm like, okay, if like, even if you're going to be the most like Christian, like all this, like Christianity bullshit, like if God really didn't want you, to put anything up your butt, then your G-spot wouldn't be there. So just take advantage of it. First of all, most of these dudes masturbate with their finger up their ass, number one. So let me just tell you. (laughs) Let me just tell you. In my sample size... If they're not, would you advise them? I would would recommend that every man tonight put a finger in your ass, think about me, buy my clips, and then tell me how it went. She she listens to my podcast. I've had I phones on, that. so she can't hear, but she loves she loves coming in and saying hi. So, so right. Bye. I know that's my cute. Oh my god! Okay. Bye. She's adorable. One time, after listening to my podcast, my mom actually contacted a dominatrix in Houston, um, because she was like, "I want to be a dominatrix," and I was like mom really? like i support it but are you really? sure i mean it was it was a lot of women like that well i think that the femdom lifestyle is actually natural to a lot of what a lot of women want um i use the term women nebulously right but um like i think it's natural to what a lot of women want i just think that oftentimes we're conditioned to like feel really guilty and like shameful for asking for those things and i think that's that that's the big that's the 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 vessel that femdom is right and it gives us all these tools to enable us to like break down those barriers and make it much easier to just ask for what we want definitely yeah i feel like I feel like in porn specifically, we see women in a submissive position so frequently. Mm-hmm. And so 
And that's kind of like because sex education, especially in America, is so bad. That's all people have to go off of. So women grow up thinking like, oh, my role in the bedroom is submissive and they don't really get the opportunity to try and be dominant. But I feel like if they really gave themselves the chance, they'd probably love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, I really enjoy um, having like (laughs) kinky sex, um, having dominant sex as a dominant woman but I think the best thing about being a dominatrix is that it speaks to my entire lifestyle I mean I'm a dominant woman in every aspect of my lifestyle like every man that is close to me is also my bitch as it should be (laughs) as it should (sighs) finally love this yes (laughs) Took long enough. Right? Dead ass. Took long enough. Like. <laughs> um, but it makes me so happy. Like, I'm so much happier. I feel so much more fulfilled. I feel so much more at peace because I'm not constantly second guessing myself or feeling guilty for being exploited, you know, or having these like weird back and forth feelings about, well, I, I don't like what happened, but I don't feel empowered enough to, to talk about it. So. Um, yeah, having, being a dominant woman, I mean, in all aspects of my life, I mean, it just added so much. Oh, I love this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about your job then? Oh my gosh, uh, my favorite thing about my job. Um, ooh, I think I love how my work has just really allowed me to connect with so many awesome fans, like so many incredible people that I I don't know. I mean, obviously, I I absolutely love femdom. I am a dominant woman. Um, I love using, exploiting, and controlling men for my my personal gain and for sexual purposes. But it's been incredible to me that, like, through producing my own content, through making like fetish porn, through putting together like kink or BDSM um, inspired photo shoots and video shoots it's allowed me to connect with and like, I guess, inspire in some ways or just become like a, endear myself to so many other people that um, think and appreciate the same things. The thing with the kink space is that like, or I guess porn in general, is that um, you're not engaging with it in your everyday life, right? So you don't walk out the house and there's just a bunch of people in leather and latex, for the most part, you're for the most part assuming <laughs> that's not your everyday reality, um, just on the weekends. But for the most part, you're not leaving your house and seeing people like this. So, um, if you have an interest in kink, if you have an interest in alternative um, mediums of having sex and experiencing love and pleasure, um, you really get that from purely online. Um, being able to be like a thought leader or content creator in that field um, and kind of shape and form what a ton of other kinky people all over the world are thinking and getting pleasure from and masturbating to makes me so happy and so excited. Like, I think that's awesome. (laughs) I feel like sex is such an empowering thing that is just people don't understand all the power that can come from it still, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I think people are really scared of it and feel very shameful about, like, welcoming it into their life as a as a priority in their lives, right? 
um, because we're so often discouraged from like experiencing sex as, as a joyful thing or as like a freeing, liberating thing. Um, and I think that's the importance of porn, right? That like, here's a time and a moment in a space where I could watch and enjoy anything and everything my heart could desire, my imagination could take me to. Um, so being able to, to, to deliver that to people, to enable people to have these types of fantasies and um, to think these like colorful and oftentimes um, oppressed thoughts, right? I feel like that's so important and I love being in that role. That's good, I love hearing that. Is there, so you spoke earlier about um, there are certain areas of Dom work that you kind of specialize in could we like go over those and maybe like you break down each one? Yeah, of course, of course. So I do a couple, I specialize in a couple of different things. So um, I do jerk off instructions, J-O-I, which I don't, wouldn't say that's like a, it's, it's more of a, like a, like a porn type situation because I guess, guess I could give you jerk off instructions in person, but I don't, it's not like a specific fetish, but whatever. Um, so essentially, uh, it's just, you know, videos or um, sometimes I'll do audio recordings because they're very soothing tone of voice, <laughs> a very soothing, commanding tone of voice. Um, audio recordings, uh, essentially just telling people how I want them to masturbate for me in honor of me. So great. <laughs> it makes me so... I have a question. Do you ever just like, you know... Yeah. While you're, because I assume like there's some aspect where it's kind of fun to, you know, just kind of fuck with guys oh, yeah. like, a little bit. Oh, yeah. And so, is there ever like any time where I was like, you should do this? And in the back of my mind, you're thinking, like, no way he can make his dick do that. And then, like, do, does that ever happen? <laughs> of course. Oh my God. You give people a ta- yes. possible task all the time. <laughs> I mean, is there like a go-to impossible task? Impossible task of or just anything like that's coming right off your mind right now? I had like a contest where I had people submit best pictures of themselves sucking their own dick, and then I posted yeah. them all over my Twitter. Some some people can actually do it. This is what I need. Wait, I remember. I remember one of my same friend with the pegging actually was able to suck his own dick for a while, and. The, the like, I think the most interesting thing I learned was I was like, so who did it better? And let me know if this is the same feedback that you got. I just want to hear, because I've only ever met one person. I feel like we can find <laughs> It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. Yeah. So he said that it felt better when he did it, but the strain and like the flexibility made it not as fun because he wasn't as comfortable. I would, I would imagine, when I saw it with my own eyes this one time that I encountered Bigfoot um (laughs) it's really hard it requires like a lot of flexibility and you're right yeah and like I guess abdominal strength to like lift your pelvis repeatedly into your mouth I don't know I don't know (laughs) yeah Shelby for context apparently the best way to do it is to lay on your back and you gotta bring the dick over to your face yeah yeah so yeah. then you don't have to worry about you know trying to exert all the extra pressure going down you gotta like you like you like hang it like a vine of grapes 
over your face. Yeah, our boy Newton's really helping us out here with gravity, am I right? Let gravity bring the dick closer to you. That's what I always say. <laughs> anyway, so Shelby, I don't know how much you've looked into that, but... I had a friend whose boyfriend could do it, but she didn't find out until like six months into their relationship. And then she didn't believe him, so he had to do it for her, like to prove to her that he could do it. <laughs> Honestly, if I if my boyfriend turned around and was like, by the way, I could suck my own dick, I think I'd be pissed. I'd be like, Why didn't you tell me? First of all. Why like, am I exerting all this effort this entire time? I know, right? Like I have been suppressing my gag reflex for nothing, first of all. <laughs> I'm busy. Like it's final season. Like what the fuck? Like <laughs> <laughs> um anyways yeah so back to your specialties in dumb work you so what were you talking about earlier you said okay cool so i do joi right um i also do a lot of cock and ball torture it's one of my favorites so i mean that there's a plethora of different ways that you could manipulate somebody's dick or their balls um ball busting is really popular trampling kicking as you can imagine um that actually looks like crushing um i do a mixture of a lot of kind of like medical play so i use a lot of needles for cvt sounding wands um which i guess are like a cylinder that i can insert into the person's urethra i also use catheters for that as well what other things horrible things have i done to somebody's dick I don't know, like knives. <laughs> I put a birthday candle in the tip of somebody's cock before and set it on fire. Like anything I can do. Anything I can do. <laughs> anything you'll let me do. I'm sorry, did you just did you just like go quickly wow. Yeah, knives and then like can we But the birthday candle what? is like the perfect size and shape to put into somebody's dick. I kind of love that. If you think about it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> You're like, I sling the visual. It's yeah. good. I was like, I get it. I get it. So, like, did you just, you know, what color was it? I like, want to for boys. <laughs> I blew out the candle. <laughs> yeah. I guess who blew... Probably me. I think because I think that after that, I, I was, like, pouring wax on him afterwards i'm really a sadist like you really wouldn't know because i'm so sweet until you give me like put anything in my hands and i'll fuck you with it like <laughs> i love it Thank you. yeah yeah um emily yeah. <laughs> joy i i just like on our list of questions they're like there's one question that I think you figured out who wrote it. Girl. But obviously yeah. we need to get through the like, <laughs> but we need to get through these specialties. Okay. Oh my God. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, what other things do I do to guys? Okay. So JOI, CBT, I do a lot of chastity. So I block guys. There's a thing called like a chastity cage. You can they they're made out of silicone. We are familiar with cock cages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Yes, because the first time I heard of it, I like brought up a picture and I was like, "This?" 
And there was one with like a tiger on it. So. Yes, actually. Um, so I am a brand ambassador for a CBT brand based in Germany. Um, and they started selling like exclusive limited edition Tiger King inspired CBT devices. Yes. Yes. I'm not just trying to do a promo for my brand. I'm trying to tell you that there are Tiger King cock cages that you could buy right now, folks. Okay, go online. <laughs> oh my God. That, no that's way. what I'm doing. Tiger. tiger. <laughs> You're like, wait, Tiger King. It said, no, did you mean Tiger King? So obviously no. everybody's seen Tiger King, right? Tiger King, the brand that I support, Oxy. I think it's Oxy hyphen shop. It's a German brand and they produce like tiger head cock cages, um, Kali's teeth, which is basically like a metal device that I put around the base of your dick and it has spikes on the inside. So Every time you get hard, it, it becomes more and more painful. I'm looking at a picture of the Kali's teeth right now. That's K-A-L-I yes. If you're having par- problems with your boyfriend, this is where you go to fix them. <laughs> oh, Zach's not going to act up. <laughs> Nip it in the bud. Not like, after done. one of these babies. <laughs> Too tired to eat my pussy tonight. <laughs> we'll see about that. Like, <laughs> oh my god, Emily, this is like your prime interview. Like, this is <laughs> honestly, I'm thriving right now. Let's just. You have any experience with vacuum beds, by the way? Oh yes, yes. So obviously, um, breath play sessions are really, really fun. Asphyxiation is really fun. Um, every now and again, I get mother breath Ooh, play. I want to hear about breath play, but because I, I'm interested because I really like being choked. You and You personally want breath. You. <laughs> what, what's breath play? Because like you said so, it, and now I'm interested. So just so as, it. as you said, it's like. Um, different tools or or means by which to control the person's capacity to breathe. So you could use the vacuum bed. That's a nice tie-in if you're really into latex, obviously. You could do simple things like a plastic bag that works and some rope. That's fine. Choking, that definitely falls into that. Um, You could waterboard somebody. Other forms of breath play. Um, but yeah, you're just trying to at home. How do you waterboard somebody at home? Would it so, just be in like a bathtub? That's a serious you question. You use the uh, like a like a moist towel or whatever, and you have to keep them restrained. And then you're pouring water over their face consistently to simulate the experience of drowning. I'm so excited! I like literally just messaged my boyfriend. <laughs> Guess what we're doing when I see you again? <laughs> Bring a plastic bag and some rope. <laughs> bring a plastic bag and (laughs) oh my god i mean well great good for you and your relationship i'm sure it's gonna get exponentially better after this interview (laughs) what's the weirdest thing you've ever put in somebody Um, if it wasn't the birthday candle i'm gonna be shook the weirdest thing I've ever put in somebody. Um, I mean, like in their ass, in their in their dick, any, any orifice. 
any oracle. You can even do it by category. So I don't really care how you tell me this information. I just want to know. So you just write it down, please. Um, I I've put um a number of different things into people's asses before, or had them do it for me, like as a like a humiliation task. So I've had people put in various types of fruits, including melons. <laughs> Including melons. Um, (laughs) You have to be a proper size queen. I mean, I put my foot in a person's ass before. And I wear like size 10 shoes. So do you go like toes first? Not a hand. Not a hand. (laughs) Toe first, I think. You got it? Yeah, you point the toe. Have you, did you take ballet when you were younger? I did, I did. I know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. <laughs> Think of it like and then do you like flex your foot when it's like yeah you have to use a lot of lube and you have to size the person up to that, that so I remember even my first pegging session I was so intimidated because I was like and I think particularly being like a like a female or female bodied person it's like whoa like how do you fit these amazing sized things inside of you that's where I'm like, at right what, now like I, Right, yeah, I, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so talented, like, this is incredible, the skill level is amazing with some of these folks, yeah, but I, yeah, I put hands, I put feet, I put fruit, I put, like, wine bottles, um, yeah. all different kinds of things, and and then in terms of somebody's dick, obviously, I, I did the birthday candle, like, recently. That's still <laughs> just such recently. a baller move. It's such a great idea. I was really, really impressed with myself. <laughs> really, the inspiration that's been coming towards me. Uh, other thing, I mean, I put fingers inside of some inside of someone's dick hole. But like whole with fingers. the with the same nails that you have on right now. Yes, of course, acrylics and all. So my thing, all. I used to before quarantine. I used to always have like acrylic nails. Mm-hmm. And that was why my boyfriend was like, you can't put your finger up my butt. And I was like, okay, but now quarantine's there. So then I like cut my nail and he was like, that's still way too long. And I'm like, you want, you want to declaw me? He's just being a pussy. Whatever. My, my gay friend says it's really sensitive. I'm starting to think it's not as sensitive as their life. <sighs> okay. Listen, it is, it is. You got to feel around for it. You can't just be jabbing it up in there. But if you use an appropriate amount of lube and seriously, you got to be gentle. So Avi, I, I'm queer. So um, I have sex with like women as well. Um, you got to like feel your way around. <laughs> and, and you could use gloves, right? Gloves totally work. And they're much more cleanly, especially if you have sex with multiple <laughs> partners. Committing. Um, or just butt plugs straight up butt plugs they work the only thing is that it's kind of nice having the feeling of like actually penetrating this person but i make it work i I feel like the empowering part is just going all in so well that's kind of the thing it's like i want to i don't know there's something about being in the penetrative position when you're having sex that like gives you this like animalistic like <laughs> I have to take you down like <laughs> you're fucking getting it 
Imagine um, an alternate history where women penetrate men and then none of our world problems ever happen because women are in charge. I believe that. I believe in that. And I'm hoping that that's the future that we're walking towards, that we're leaning towards. <laughs> I really wish Donald Trump would just get a dominatrix. I think he'd learn a I'm lot. Sure he, I'm sure he has one. Like, he probably I, has several on retainer. He definitely, he definitely has hired one previously. And had her come and then totally topped from the bottom with his like super A type ass personality. And then eventually it was just like, okay, just use the, the Hitachi on my dick until I come. I have to answer a few text messages. I promise you. <laughs> I hope you got to slap him though. That is verbatim how things went. Can promise you. Like to Donald Trump's previous dominatrix, we would love to talk to you. Please contact yeah. us at kidgirlpodcast at outlook.com. <laughs> okay, continuing with the interview. Sorry, I just really want to talk to her now. Or him. <laughs> Hopefully him. Fingers crossed. Um ooh, what what was I did I answer your question? Did I Yes did you I... did. You oh. exceeded all of my expectations. <laughs> so all right are we ready to go on a more serious note yes well i am um so as a black and a queer dominatrix your experience is probably different from a white and a cis or a straight dominatrix um do you ever feel like you get fetishized because of your race oh yeah absolutely no question of that i think i the things that Black sex workers deal with in the industry, I, I mean, I don't think that a lot of other non-Black sex workers could even tolerate it. I mean, obviously, everybody gets hate mail. Um, I don't think that that's anything new. But, I mean, I've received, like, super crazy hateful messages with, like, really, really disgusting terms thrown at me. It's incredibly difficult to find adequate mentorship I feel like as a Black Dom, um, simply because so many of the gatekeepers in the industry are white people. I also think that for me, and and maybe what I've been able to kind of work through and has pushed forward my success, but again, I think still acts as a barrier for a lot of different Black women in the industry. So you're constantly doing the work of legitimizing yourself to a white audience. So for me, like I spent, excuse me, so much on photo shoots, high-end HD video shoots, um, $1,000 lingerie sets, $1,500 shoes, like everything. Perfect, 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 perfect to the T. So um, when you look at me, when you look at my content, you feel as though, okay, well, this is um, a Black woman that I can exceptionalize and tokenize in favor of the Black people on the street that terrify me, right? So I think that that pressure doesn't really, I would imagine that pressure doesn't really exist for a lot of white women in the industry. I think that they have a lot more room and flexibility to craft the narrative surrounding themselves, their brand, their persona with a much greater ease and uh, lesser, I guess, consciousness than um, a Black content creator would have to. And not only that, I mean, it's also just the day-to-day, like interactions with um, with potential clients, with fans. As I said, like the sometimes like the messages that I receive or what have, have you are just like, 
deplorable, you know? So I do think it takes a lot more perseverance and um, forbearance than what I would imagine a lot of white creators deal with in the industry. Yeah. Were these things that you felt prepared for before you became a sex worker? I mean, I think that obviously, I think that you, okay, I think that as a Black person, you cannot get to a certain point of success. And we're talking about success in traditional um, capitalistic Eurocentric terms. You can't get to a certain point of success without learning how to make yourself safe, acceptable, and palatable to a white audience, period. It's just not going to happen, right? So um, I'm a dominatrix, right? But I feel like the work that I do is the same work that Will Smith, Halle Berry, Oprah Winfrey, um, Beyonce, Michael Jackson, um, pretty much every single <laughs> white celebrity athlete, Michael, ja- Michael Jordan, any of them, have to do in order to make themselves um, marketable to a mainstream audience. So um, with that in mind, right, to answer your question, a lot of the things that I do now professionally um, in terms of like (sighs) making myself marketable to uh, my audience, which is predominantly like older, like white men in their 50s or so, a lot of the work that I do is things that I've been doing throughout my entire life. I mean, um, the double consciousness, right, that every Black person has to kind of walk with simply in order to move through white supremacist spaces or white patriarchal spaces. It's it's like an inbred thing up to a certain point, if you survive, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think these are things that non-Black people, I mean, because they don't experience it, it's things that they just don't even think of. So I'm glad that you're able to share that with us because hopefully a lot of people can hear this and start considering, you know, how their privilege has helped them in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I mean, porn and kink and the sex industry as a whole is kind of a crazy place because um, there are many Racialized fantasies, I don't think there's anything new, right? I think we all are familiar with the fact that they exist. We all are familiar with the fact that Blacked is like one of the most popular porn sites on the website, on the web right now. Um, as you can imagine, I do get a lot of clients that specifically see me because they have fantasies about being dominated by a strong Black woman, um, whatever you want to tie that into. Um, so I... I think that race and its place in like eroticism, um, sexuality, sexual fantasy, um, there's a whole conversation to be had surrounding that. And I don't think that it it's going to change overnight um, because I think that in comparison to any other like mass media entertainment industry, um, porn has been the slowest to clean itself up with respect to discrimination, with respect to a lot of the terminology that they use, with respect to the narratives and the ways that they cast their performers. Um, I think that if people want to change that, right, and want to be more conscious of that, um, make these differences, then it's as simple as supporting independent performers um, like myself, like other Black content creators, Black porn creators, Black kink 
um, professionals, what have you, when you're making a decision on who you want to see or whose porn you want to buy or simple things, making decisions as to like, what do you search for in your porn search terms? Do you search for black or ebony? Do you search for, yeah, do you search for like BBC or what do you, or, you know, how do you go about making small changes with the, with the, the privilege that you do have to continue to support black creators in this space? Yeah, a hundred percent. Language, I also feel like is a huge part of that, like you said earlier, you know. Um, And you also, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? No, you keep talking. Oh, I I just had, I was going to go to the second question, which is, um, you're based in LA right now, which has been hit both really hard with the pandemic and also with the protests that are happening right now. So how has that affected your business? Oh my God, it's been a crazy time. Well, um, so first and foremost, I when COVID, I guess the peak of COVID um, in March, I was in New York for my birthday. And um, once that happened, I, I'm fortunate enough, I have, I keep an apartment in New York and also in LA. So um, I just ended up staying in New York for about two months and, you know, trying to support my family as best as I could and be available for my long-term friends and what have you. Um, and work here I mean you can't really I couldn't really see anybody in person so um, all of my business operations really started transferring to online fortunately I'm pretty popular on OnlyFans and I have a lot of really really great followers that um, support my work so that was okay for me Um, I know that a lot of other people have been really struggling financially a lot of porn fetish dominatrixes, different performers have really been having a hard time because prior to this, their majority of their business was just seeing clients in person. Then (laughs) I flew to LA maybe um, in the middle of May because I needed to shoot new content. And I saw that things were slowly moving towards opening up again and uh, was like, okay, great. I'm going to start seeing some of my subs that I've been missing so much. I live in downtown, actually, downtown LA, and I, my block was torn up in the protest, like, proper, like, all the wind. I don't know why they have so many storefronts with these huge windows in LA. That's a terrible idea. Like, they don't do that in New York. Are you kidding me? That's a terrible idea. Like, (laughs) y'all are asking for it. What the fuck? Um, Big businesses are asking for it. Concept. I love that. Whatever. But it got tore up in the protest. And um, I remember, like, I, so I just recently flew back to New York on Monday. And over the weekend, I guess when the protest first started happening, I was still at my apartment in LA and I was actively watching all night as um, there were a number of protesters moving through my area and some pretty heavy police activity that was just so surreal and so, you know, felt like a sci-fi movie, very terrifying to witness. But I was there with my phone out the whole time just to ensure that, you know, if something happened, that there obviously there is evidence and there are people that are witnessing this. As it's affected my business, I think that, as I said, when when this occurred, it made it real to me that I think that 
more and more so we're moving closer and closer to like a police state authoritarian government it's really starting to feel that way i mean i grew up in new york city city that never sleeps and we have an eight o'clock curfew i mean <laughs> you know it's 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 insane i mean the national guard is out in santa monica like to stop regular citizens from from speaking their their voice we're getting closer and closer to a police state and i think that at that moment i really recognize that it's more important than ever to start um, moving content and creating a platform for yourself online, um, making sure that followers can access you wherever you go, um, making sure that you have the tools in place to assert your opinion, regardless of how it might be stamped out in person or whatever measures that are put in place um, by government to limit our physical mobility, because I see that really happening so quickly. Um, so for me, I've just, I've taken it as, I mean, personally, as a wake-up call, obviously, it hasn't been easy to experience as a Black person, but I think professionally, it's just been a reminder that, um, you know, if you want to connect with people, if you want to change thought, if you want to continue to have a voice in a world that is more and more actively um, limiting us in our capacity to, to express ourselves, really make sure that you have that online audience. Really make sure you're putting your content out. Like keep, keep tweeting, keep posting, keep going for it because um, people need to hear it. Definitely. And yeah, and speaking of having an online platform and, and um, your online work, how has that been different from what you were doing in person as a dominatrix? Yeah, so um, in person, it's actually really interesting. So even though I'm still a dominatrix, it's almost like I have a totally new job. <laughs> it's, it's crazy because it's the same thing and I'm the same person, but really different roles. So when um, your business model is predominantly in person, it, that means that most of the time spent working is one-on-one -on -one time with subs, with clients. Um, most of the time is me actually being there, engaging with people, um, dominating them, using them, controlling them, actually really having this like supercharged sexual exchange with people and doing that multiple times a week, multiple times a day, which is extremely fulfilling in one sense because it's like I'm, I'm just fucking all day, which is great. Um, but in another sense can also be very draining because obviously you're giving so many people like your sexual energy, your erotic energy, your, your feminine energy, which I think already we live in a world where women are constantly being sexualized and, you know, that, that energy is, I think, naturally just being drawn from us all the time, right? Or it's expected of us to give to people all the time. Now, when you start doing business online, in some ways, it's it's more tax taxing because there's so many different plates that you're spinning at the same time. I am all at once producer, manager, art director, model, actress, advertiser, marketeer, so many different plates to spin at one time. But in some ways, the work is more fulfilling because 
what I what occupies a lot of my time is just the administrative part. So I've always been really into production. I've been like an artist and uh, art director, producer for years. So most of the busy work is like me, you know, um, setting up interviews with like awesome people like you, uh, me like distributing content to folks so they have something to beat off to every single day, you know, doing kind of like the the fundamentals to make sure that people can see and access what I do. And then the in-person time becomes much shorter, but then it gets focused in on the stuff that I really love. So as opposed to, like, I get to play with my subs all the time now, right? Whereas previously, I spent so much time dealing with clients whom I love too, but, you know, I spent so much time dealing with clients, I never really got to experience my subs in um, such an intimate way. Now I get to um, like really talk to people and create content for people in a way that I never really had the time to before. So even though I have a lot more roles now, I think that the efficacy is much greater because obviously, you know, I, I shoot one clip and then people could look at it from now until forever versus in person, which is beautiful, but you know, it can only go so far. It's a little bit limiting, actually. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I am always curious about the shift between, like, online and in-person sex work, especially with somebody who has to go through, you know, you have to do both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think online sex work versus in-person sex work. I think that online, if you can deal with, the constant need for new content, if you can keep up with it, I actually feel like it's somewhat more fulfilling um, only because you can engage with people so much more quickly. You can engage with people all over the world. You have more energy. Uh, I have more energy and way more passion for what I do now because you know, I have more time to build that, <laughs> build that fantasy for both myself and for other people before we actually get on the phone. Whereas in person, if I'm running from one, if you're the la- if you're the fourth person I saw that day, how could I possibly come to you with the same passion, the same enthusiasm, the same excitement as person number one? So I think online is pretty great, all things considered. Um, it's just really intense and requires a lot of work. Yeah, well, I know one question that I kind of had that kind of goes back to a point that you were making earlier. You were saying that a lot of Black sex workers experience a lot more online harassment. Yeah. Do you think transitioning into online, um, you're mentioning that you feel a lot more exhausted now. Do you think part of that is because you're a Black sex worker and unfortunately you're subject to online harassment? Um, That's a really interesting question. I mean, I didn't think about it that way because I just <laughs> I'd be filtering through these losers in my DMs all day so good I swear to god like if the first text is not what's your cash app I'm not answering you what is your cash app okay that's all I want to hear um what size do you want this in that's all I want to hear <laughs> <laughs> that's right exactly um, but you're totally right. I mean, I do think that <laughs> I do think 
part of, I mean, my moon is in Virgo, so I'm going to be a perfectionist anyway. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, it's a fatal flaw. But I think that I do put a lot more time and care and intention and effort into my work and into building my brand than I would say a lot of other doms, um, non-Black doms do for sure. And I, I mean, I don't know, you know, I haven't seen the type of messages. I mean, sex workers are harassed constantly, regardless, regardless, constantly, 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 however you cut it. Um, But I will say that at the very least, like white sex workers, um, white passing sex workers don't have to deal with, if you're going to be harassed, they don't have to be harassed in this way that's like super intimate and specific and like personal to them and their identity and um you know just really brutal and hurtful um I think there's a different like for me if I receive a message that's like fuck you bitch that I can brush that off much more easily than fuck you nigger bitch you know what I'm saying so it's two different things I I do think Sex workers are harassed in general, but I do think that the ways in which they're harassed are different as it applies to race. Yeah, absolutely. Damn. So I know that, you know, there's a really tight um, or there's a close-knit sex worker community. Is there a Black sex work community as well? Uh, so I would say that there is. Well, I wouldn't say that there's like a Black sex work community specific nationally, or maybe there is, but I'm just not familiar with it. I know that there is a Black sex work collective in New York um, that it's a, typically does a lot of um, burlesque performances. Um, I know Akinos, that's A-K-Y-N-O-S. Um, I feel like they were hosting events previously just before COVID hit. So I haven't stayed in touch with what they've been up to, but um, they would be definitely like a great place to, to get in touch with. For a while, actually, when I first really kind of started making a name for me myself in the industry, I was um, hosting a bunch of storytelling workshops, storytelling and self-care workshops for sex workers of color. I found it really challenging to get people together. I think at the time, I didn't have the audience that I have now, so that's I could imagine that was a contributing factor. But I also think that um, I don't know. I think that a lot of the the voices in the sex worker activist space tend to be white femmes, and I think that there is specifically when we talk about feminist feminism and feminist history, there is a longstanding history of white femmes having more time and resources and kind of just a greater comfort um, voicing their opinions and voicing their discontent than um, black feminists or non-white feminists. I mean, when we talk about second second wave feminism, that is largely dominated purely by white female voices, white um, upper to middle class, the upper middle class, white female voices. Um, so I think that there is a lot more, there's a lot of room for that to occur. I just think that maybe the resources, the focus, the attention hasn't been there, um, and it's made it difficult to do so. But I would certainly hope to. <laughs> I would certainly hope to sorry, kind of move that forward as much as I can in the future. We're getting to be about that time at the end of the episode. Um, I know. It's so sad. I really have enjoyed this interview so much. This honestly felt like a conversation. Like, this is so fun. Oh, 
good. I, you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Me and my ex-girlfriend, we tried to do like a podcast. This is like in 2017. We broke up very violently, viciously afterwards. So. <laughs> every time I get involved with the girl, it just... I don't know what it is. I mean, I also am attracted to crazy women. Not all women are crazy, just the ones that I'm attracted to. I'm pretty sure, like, this oppression will make you crazy. So, um, fair enough, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But that meme where it's like, wow, all the lesbians from quarantine moving in with each other after this, I'm like, man, do I know how that is. (laughs) <laughs> well, you should make a podcast. We'd we'd support you in it. Wait, wait, I have you can I just like quick fire some of these questions? Yeah, of course. Is there LaCroix in the dungeon that you work in? <laughs> yes. What flavor? Um, I think it's like a like a pinkish thing. I don't know. The I raspberry like- one. I know. Yeah, I like filters, so I don't I don't touch it, but whatever. I just, for some reason, I get off on, like, you know, knowing that there's a lot in common between sex dungeons and tech offices. So, LaCroix being the main one. It is. Same drink selection. Not that Um, I have a lot of tech offices, but I would imagine. And then (laughs) if you have, if... I'm not, I'm not sure if you're on a schedule, but I just have like one question that I Go feel like it, might yeah. lead down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I okay. just want to run in for 8.30, we but got, I think yeah, that we'll have 10 time. minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really quick, um, we were kind of talking about, or I remember in a episode really far back, somebody was saying that there are a lot of um, racialized terms in downwork specifically. Have you noticed those? And is there anything that people can do to kind of counteract that? Oh, I think that's a really great question. Um, so <laughs> I, a number, like maybe like a year ago, I remember somebody posting on Twitter who was a black, uh, no, sorry, who was a white dom that was um, talking about like how disgusted they were by like race play and that anybody would actually to do something like that and that they're not doing anything like that and so on and so forth. And um, a bunch of other, you know, white sex workers and doms chimed in and applauded this person. And um, at the time, I was like, yes, obviously, I think that's a really easy statement to make. But I think the reality of it is that for somebody who is a person of color, um, specifically in my experience as a black person, so many clients come to me looking to be humiliated on the basis of their race. I mean, so many white men, let's put it out there. So many white men come to me looking for me to like call them a white pig and make them pay reparations for what they've done to me and my ancestors. Rightfully so. Yes. So. (laughs) They're not wrong. They're not wrong. I'm just saying. Fair. Back to all the things that I love about being a dominatrix. So, uh, yeah, I, I I think that in terms of racialized terms, as it applies to kink and as it applies to the fetish industry, they're not going away. <laughs> they're not going away. I think that people will always fetishize race. I think that people will always fetishize anything, to be honest. 
But I do think that you're right that we can be more sensitive to how we talk about these terms, and particularly the verbiage that we use when we talk to specific performers, right? Or talk to people within specific production studios. So I remember uh, when I first came out to LA and started working as a dominatrix at the Dom Collective, um, one of the other doms there was um, a black woman. And she had seen a client. And so I don't know if you know, but in porn, if you're looking for a black performer, you wouldn't search for black, you search for ebony. Which is like, what the fuck? Who the fuck even calls a black person? Imagine you called a black person ebony on the street. Like, what the fuck? But, <laughs> but this is this is the term that people use, right? So um, she had seen a client, and this client was, as I said, he was a white man. And oftentimes, white men, when they come to see black dominatrices, are very like, oh my god, you're perfect. Your skin is perfect. Everything about you is amazing. I love you. Oh my god, you're amazing. You're a goddess. Everything, you know, just like going in. And <laughs> so this person, in kind of honoring and worshiping and complimenting her, um, was like, oh, you're my ebony queen or you're my ebony goddess, something to that effect. And uh, she got pissed, right? Because, as I said, you don't call black people ebony. I mean, that's, that's simply outrageous. But something like this, for somebody who, for all, let's just call it what it is, for all intents and purposes, their only interaction with a black person on an average day-to-day basis is somebody that they pick off of a website and pay to hang out with them for an hour. They don't know, you know? They All they see is what they see in popular media. So if they're looking at pornography that's constantly categorizing these people as black, same as if you're looking at media that's constantly categorizing black people as criminals, as thugs, as rapists, as burglars, so on and so forth, your mind is immediately going to go to that place when you encounter somebody in real life. So um, I think in terms of changing this terminology, changing this imagery, changing the symbolism in a way that's, you know, more does more justice to who these people actually are, um, giving them some dimensionality, right? Giving them some humanity. Ask your sex workers what they like to be called, right? You, you know, choose porn created by independent performers that maybe make greater measures to, to self-identify in a way that is acceptable to, to black or brown or non-white people. So, you know, right into Pornhub <laughs> that we would like to have the, the search term, the categories changed for when we search for this porn. If you want to have a racially motivated role play or fantasy with uh, your dom or your sex worker or whomever, um, discuss it with them first, right? Discuss it with them first. Lay out boundaries the same way that you do when you enter any session, right? This is your pain tolerance. This is the activities like you like to do, this is their duration at which you can withstand it. You can do those same things for how you talk about identity and um, what makes this person feel comfortable, respected, and understood. Easy stuff. And, it, you know, it'll benefit your interaction by doing it, too. That was a good question, Emily. Thank you. I have been watching YouTube videos on how to be a better interviewer, so... Okay, my boyfriend and he asked I'm watching you so then take you. There you go. <laughs> I can't I can't wait. Zach, I can't wait to peg you next time I see you. We're moving in with each other in three weeks. It'll never stop. Shelby, leave that in the episode. I'm going to. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, if you guys are listening and you made it this far, awesome. And you should have. Um, you can follow Tasha Black on Twitter and Instagram. She's at the Tasha Black. And you guys should also go to her website. It's Mistress oh, Tasha. Oh, I'm going to pause you real quick. I'm releasing a new website. Fuck that old website. Boom. Oh, it's beautiful. TashaBlack.com. It's bomb as fuck. I'm going to have blog posts. I'm going to have merchandise. I'm going to have clips. I'm going to have everything. Look for it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So follow her on Twitter and Instagram at the Tasha Black. And then go to her website, thetashablack.com. Yes. Okay. Glad we got that. Mine's a software engineer. I'm looking at it. Beautiful Ooh, UI UX. Beautifully designed website. <laughs> All right, Shelby, plug us now. <laughs> and you can follow us on Instagram at Candy Girl Podcast or on Twitter at Candy Girl Pod. And if you have any questions for me, for Emily, for Mistress Tasha Black, or any of our other guests, you can email us at candygirlpodcast at outlook.com. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll hear from you next Friday.